0: Well, good morning, Community Church. We want to welcome everybody watching online this morning as well. We're glad you could be with us. We are anticipating that we're going to have an amazing service, right? Right? We need to anticipate that the Lord is going to be here because guess what? He is... And he's ready to move. The question is, are we ready to join? All right, so let's pray. Let's worship our king this morning, because he is worthy of praise. Amen? Well, Father, we thank you so much that you are amazing. You are awesome. You are everything we need. You are worthy to be praised. And so this morning, God, we choose to come into the house of God. We choose to welcome you in our hearts. We choose to give you all of our attention. We choose to give you all of our praise. And this morning we declare, regardless of our circumstances, you are worthy of praise, and we will give our whole hearts to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship him this morning. So right now there's no lyrics. But what we're called to do is just join us right where we're sitting. So as we go back into this for another 30 seconds to a minute, It's our opportunity right now just to declare our worship what the Lord's laid on our heart. So this is a moment not to look for the lyrics, but to raise your voice. Begin to declare what you're thankful for. Begin to tell Him how much you love Him. This is your opportunity now to come in and just worship Him. Let your heart just begin to speak out what's within you and share it with Him. Sometimes this is the hardest part. When the words aren't there and when we have to express our own heart, Sometimes we just gotta risk it. We just gotta let out what's in there. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, a little earlier in the service, as we were in worship, just had this moment where I closed my eyes and I just had this image of seeing Jesus walking through the pews here in our service i literally saw him walking through each of the aisles walking right in front of each one of you and i saw him touching you i actually believe he is doing that right now in our midst i'm going to ask you right now to join with me in believing that that he actually is here and he is in this room and i'm going to pray for you right now but if you have a need I feel the Lord is saying, he is the one that's going to touch you right now. He is the one that's going to come and lay his hands on you. So whatever your need is, just raise your hands to him. And I feel like he is going to come and he is going to touch you right where you're at. And so, Father God, right now we come in the name of Jesus. We know you are here. We know you are in this room. That's why we're in this room, because you are here. And so right now, Jesus, we ask that as you're walking through these aisles, that you would touch each one in this room, each need that you see, that you would come and bless those ones, that you would heal those ones, that you would take those fears away, God, that you would take those disappointments away right now. And for those watching online, sitting on their couch, standing in their room, laying in their beds, that the very same thing would happen right now, that you would touch them right where they're at. That Jesus Christ, the risen one, would come and just touch them in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Just let them touch you right now. Hmm. He's with you right now. Push past that voice that says, I don't see him. I don't feel it. He is here right now. Jesus.
1: Such a great day. Father, we just pray today, God, that you would open our eyes. Father, we lean into you. We say, Father, show us things that we have not seen that we have not known god we pray in jesus name amen well i uh i was fully intending this morning to talk about something entirely different and uh and the lord changed this is one one of the reasons why i don't count on a particular message but uh so i want to talk about something this morning i'm calling it Casualties—the unmistakable evidence of war. Casualties, you know. Uh, huh. Let me read uh, what I—I I started to write something about this. Let me just read it as a beginning. Casualties are the unmistakable evidence we are at war. But unlike in conventional battle, where winners and losers are measured in lifeless bodies strewn about a battlefield, kingdom conflict is evident instead through incremental blindness. It is not measured in the mere absence of soldiers from our ranks, but the presence of listless wandering zombies, the shell-shock dullness we would expect to see from the recently concussed. The fallout of losing a spiritual battle is not necessarily death, but the inability to perceive as we formerly did. And so I pray today, Father, that you would uh, uh, create an opportunity, Father, that a beacon of light, a flare of clarity would be shot out across the county of Spruce Grove Parkland, the city of of Spruce Grove community, uh, this community and the surrounding uh, land. Father, we say in Jesus' name, let an illumination come, Father, that those who are captives of spiritual blindness would awaken to the former things that they knew to be real. That, Father, that which was tangible, that which they felt, which they handled concerning the word of life, would come alive again to them. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Now, uh, I'm going to try and weave together a number of scriptures. Some of this is going to be familiar, right? Uh, you know, I like to say something new all the time, but, you don't. Know, we've got to be like a hockey coach. Hockey coaches, they usually don't say anything different. <laughs> it's usually the same set of challenges, you know, because, not because they don't know it, they just don't know it. And so... But in Revelations 18, there's this insightful verse, and it's talking about the judgment of Babylon. Now, Babylon refers to a system. In some ways, it 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 is uh, it parallels the kingdom of darkness, but it doesn't represent entirely the kingdom of darkness. But it is certainly an expression of a fallen system, of a uh, that has invaded the world and affected the world. But this is what it says. It says. Revelations 18, The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore, and the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. By your sorcery all the nations were deceived. The preeminent thing that we battle against is in this battle is for clarity, to be able to see more clearly. And we're going to see in a minute that even maturity is reflected by the words of Jesus in incremental capacity, an ability to perceive things that others do not perceive. And so sorcery is basically this. It is that That thing that makes obtuse what ought to be clear to us. It is a fog-like substance that settles over communities, over nations even. When you talk about uh, a communist system that we, you know we we talked about the the cold war we talked about whole nations that fell asleep under a a system of thought that immobilized their capacity to even appreciate freedom or know what was right and wrong or even be able to see what makes for economic viability for a nation it's it's stunning that whole nations fall under this but we see it happen again and again and again, otherwise intelligent people making very foolish decisions. How does that happen? Except that minds become detached from common sense. Minds become uh, unable to access what just was simple wisdom not long ago. And they are brought into a slumber. And it's by, according to scripture, not just the general malaise of sin or the dynamics of the kingdom of darkness, but specifically sorcery. Sorcery is the front edge of the sword of the demonic kingdom that causes people to fall under the sway, under the spell of darkness that enables them to be victimized by a spirit they would not formerly have allowed to continue in their lives and so right now even as I'm talking about this I want you to begin to even make it your aim to say Lord alert me to the way in which sorcery has caused me to slumber in the way sorcery has become a veil over my eyes so that things that were formerly clear to me, things I was prepared to give my life to, have now faded in significance, in importance, to the degree that I hold them so loosely they could easily be snatched from my hands. So, Father, in Jesus' name, we pray today. God, that you would bring us into that acute state of, a, of that we would call awake. It's not, it's not accidental that they call, you know, the current version of social warriors, uh, you know, social justice warriors, the woke bunch, right? Because it really, they are woke to a whole other ideology. And they are falling asleep then to the, the former ideology that was believed to be, Uh, Wisdom, common sense. And so this is what we're competing for. The the kingdom of darkness is trying to birth people into its system, to baptize people into darkness and into a way of thinking that brings them to death. But the kingdom of God is meant to bring us into an increasing light. An increasing light. And so we we are pursuing that increasing light so that we can see... Things clearly. Now we were trying to find it. I asked Cam for some help this morning because he's he's really good at uh, uh, at uh, remembering some of these things from *The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe*. But there's a scenario in there, and I've mentioned this before. But it's just it's so fascinating to me. I, I it makes me wonder. What's the name of the uh, the author of that? C.S. Lewis. Yeah, C.S. Lewis. I, I'm wondering like. Did, did he actually know the significance of what he was writing about, or was he just being creative and accidentally stumbling upon prophetic things that were precisely the reality of the conflict between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness, you know, but either way, it's phenomenal. You know, it's a creative representation of actual tensions between two kingdoms. And I'm always wondering, because, you know, we always think we're way ahead of the curve, right? You know, we, the guys, you know, 100 years ago, they were sorry in the dark, you know. But, but uh, so we, regardless, the language he uses is so amazing. And we couldn't find the actual quote, the actual time. But the scenario is this. Is there's two worlds. There's a a world where humans live, and then there's this underworld. And I can't remember why, but the, the the team, the people that the story is following, have gone into the underworld to, to 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 rescue somebody. And as they're there, there's a I think a dwarf with them called Puddle Puddle Glum. Yes, Marshwiggle. He's a Marshwiggle. Okay, all right, yeah. Anyway. Uh, he's there with these kids, and they're talking to this queen of the underworld, and she takes this incense-like stuff, and she throws it on the fire, and the room begins to fill with this, this smell and this opaque smoke, and uh, the girl is explaining. She's in the middle of trying to... Say where they came from, that there is another world above this world that can 't be seen from this place, but it and she begins to describe it, but as that smoke fills the room, she begins to realize that she 's losing touch with the reality of the world that she was just a minute ago deeply in touch with it, the memory the knowledge of that exit, that realm was so clear to her. You know, she's in the middle of explaining, and suddenly she begins to waffle as though, uh, as though it wasn't even real, that it was, as though it were kind of a dream. You know, and she said, even her own words, you know, started, started to sound like fantastical. Like, like, what, a ball of fire in the air? Like, you know, anyway, it was, but, but as she's waking up out of it, because Puddle Glum goes and stomps out the fire. And so he breaks the 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 cycle, the advance of that smoky occult sorcery from blinding their minds. And then uh, you know the, the the queen had accused them of you know maybe dreaming or something. So she says this. She said, "Well, suppose we have only dreamed, or made up all these things—trees and grass, and sun and moon and stars and Aslan himself. Suppose we have. Then all I can say is that." In that case, the made-up things seem a great deal more important than the real ones. Suppose the black pit of a kingdom of yours is the only world. Well, it strikes me as a pretty poor one. And that's a funny thing when you think of it. Uh, we're just babies making up a game, if you're right. But four babies making up a game uh, can make a play world which licks your world uh, uh, which licks your world hollow. That's why I'm going to stick with the play world. And so this is the, this is the statement of the conviction of somebody who's coming out of that slumber, coming out of that opaqueness where all of a sudden, like, wait, wait a minute. I, I'm not completely clear yet, but, but you know what? I almost would rather live in this imaginary world rather than in this present darkness. And that was the beginning of her awakening. But, the reality is this conflict happens all the time. I remember uh, some time ago I was thinking about this because people were asking me, because I've, I've seen people down through the years, zealous, and I remember uh, having a Sunday school teacher or somebody was telling me about their Sunday school teacher who was so impactful on their life at one time, and they were mourning the fact that that Sunday school teacher who had you know, placed so much in them was now not even serving the Lord anymore. And this is the story that's repeated again and again and again where people, you know, you get saved and you, you're you surrounded in people that are impacting your life, a home group leader, an associate pastor or a senior pastor of a church, a Bible college student that's, you know, more mature than you that you see as an elder brother, whoever it is, and then come to, to, to find out That they're not even, they're not even Christians anymore. And so people ask me, well, does that, does that create disillusion in me, in you? Does that, does that actually discourage you? Does that make you wonder as to the veracity of the things that you believe? I want to say, no, it does not. It actually affirms the things that I believe and the things that I know because the casualties, and I see people who are taken out not as enemies of, of, of mine, but casualties of a war that we are engaged in and are there to be rescued. And so we live to rescue those that were taken captive, that were taken captive by sorcery and slumber. And we pray and we contend that they would come out of those things that have caused them to be captive. Can you say amen? amen? I mean, this is what we're doing. When we're coming to church to worship collectively, whether it's a prayer meeting or a worship time, what we're trying to do is light the beacons, light the beacons so that those that are in darkness can see a light. And this is, this is the prophetic promise in Isaiah that a light will shine over us and will increase. So we're contending for this in this, uh, in this overview sense for uh, not only ourselves, but for others who've been completely sidelined. The very fact that people are in that dubious state of semi-wokeness is evidence that we are in the midst of conflict. Now, I've got a couple of scriptures I want to I read to you. I want you to turn to Revelation where is it? Revelations 3, I believe. 14. Revelations three fourteen. Now, I found it interesting a few years ago, and it's been a few years now. I, I think about these, for a long, these things for a long time, and I've probably referred to it, but in, in, uh, in, in the Hollywood scene and TV series, you've suddenly had this, this influx of movies about zombies. And whenever you see that kind of thing, you gotta know that there's some spiritual reality uh, being seen by creative people whether they understand it whether they represent it accurately uh, they see through a glass darkly as we do hopefully we see more clearly but creative people who are not saved also see you know the vague outlines of certain truths coming into focus and so they they, they build stories around those vague things that they see and they tend to capture the imagination of people because they represent something eternal. And without knowing it, the most significant stories are those that form some kind of outline of eternal realities yet to be fully grasped. And so, uh, to me, there's something about this, about the zombies. Now, <laughs> you may think that's a, an interesting illustration. But listen to this. Uh, Jesus is speaking in Revelation chapter 3 to the Laodicean church, the lukewarm church, the slumbering church. And, he, and to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, These things says the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now it's worth saying that some of the other, one of the other churches at least, they're, they're being rebuked by Jesus because, listen, they've lost their first love. They've lost the intensity of that first passion that caused them to be espoused to one husband, Jesus. And they're being called back to this place of ferocious devotion. And uh and so in likewise the Laodicean church, they've they've gone from a place, but it's odd the language, and I know it's odd, but I'm gonna try and explain it. But they're being called back from the place of lukewarmness. But why would why would the Lord say hot? I would that uh, you were hot or cold. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't he want us to be hot? No. Uh, the, the, the reality is lukewarm is the worst condition because you're neither, you're not really, you think you're in, but you're not. Like you think you're awake, but you're not. If you're totally asleep, then at least you can be wakened, right? But And if you're, if of course, you're awake and you're hot, then that's great. But if you're lukewarm, you have this, half-hearted zombie like you're not you're you're halfway there halfway to life isn't that what the undead are zombies they're not really dead but not really alive and I think you know if we think back to even assessments of the droning deadness of the church over history it could be likened to those you know those parading you know, wandering shells of humans who are just going through the rote requirements of what is necessary, but there's no real life in them. You know, they they have the appearance of being, you know, they can move their feet, but it's just, it's odd. It's not in sync with what one would expect from a real person. I believe, I believe that this picture of the lukewarm represents those that were alive but have fallen into partial slumber and maybe sleepwalking if you like. But uh let's let's talk about this. Uh you know there's a uh, there's a scripture, turn to John twelve I think I think this is the right one. John twelve. In John twelve uh, oh yeah here it is. Okay. So there's this Jesus is at a particular state in his life, and you've heard me teach on this before. But this is what he says in verse 27. He says, now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me? uh, For from from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. So he says, he prays, he declares this, Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. All right, so he's out in the open, he's in the market or something, in this public place, And a voice from heaven speaks out loud and says, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The interesting thing about this is the response of those around. It says, therefore, the people who stood by and heard it said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. But Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come uh, um, because of me, but for your sake. So basically we have this view that there are incremental levels of perception. Jesus obviously representing that, that optimum level where he not only heard that it was a person, it wasn't thunder, it wasn't a vague voice or rumbling in the distance, it was A voice, not only did he know it was a voice, but it was the voice of a particular personality he identified as his father. It's his father speaking, and not only did he hear the voice, but he precisely heard every syllable, every every part of the message that was being shared. That represents a fullness that is possible for us but the other the other ones are you know less desirable some said it thundered okay now maybe some didn't hear it at all right but here's the thing some hear but not as well thundered some thundered what what is the difference between a thunder a vague rumbling in the distance and a precise voice while well, there's a lot In between this one and that one, there's increments of awakeness that can be possible, where you can hear one word or part of a word, or you can hear or feel the passion in something. And so, uh, of course, some uh, within that said, no, it was a voice. It wasn't just thunder. The point is this, where am I? Where am I right now? I ask myself that question all the time. And uh, it's because, uh, not because I feel like I need to present this to you, (laughs) right? You may think, well, Mark's come up with another sermon to challenge us. No, this is my challenge today. Because though it may seem that I hear maybe more clearly than some there are others that I aspire to be like who I see here even more clear than me. And that was part of my inspiration when I was uh, living in Vancouver walking with David Demian. I had never met anybody before in my life who heard so clearly. And, and I was thinking, man, like like I wish the Lord would speak to me like that. I remember thinking, you know, my God, you do that for me. And it's like God was saying, well, I actually am. (laughs) Like the fault is not on my side, Mark. You know, you may want me to raise my voice and speak louder, speak more slowly. But what I want is to awaken your senses to the degree that I don't have to slow down what I'm saying or increase my volume but there's a capacity for you to be fully engaged with a realm that you see through a glass darkly. And so this is the journey we are on. And we are challenged by one another in that journey until you decide because of disillusionment or because of... of, uh, Well, I, I won't get into all the potential challenges, but the reality is this, is that God... Wants you to believe, and I see this scenario where, where God helps us with things. It's kind of like I think I referred to this last week. Kind of like a mother who's cutting your toast for you, and then you know there comes the day when you need to cut your toast yourself, and uh, and if you of course refuse to do that, <laughs> you don't eat. <laughs> you know that's that's the way it should work. I don't know any enabling mothers here. <laughs> You know, I mean, but let me tell you, God is not like your mama. I think I said that once before as well. He is prepared to call you forward or let you slide back if you so wish. Now, this is not a question of losing your salvation. This is a question of usability. This is a question of function. This is a question of uh, reward in eternity. What role do you want to play for eternity? When you got saved, you are saved. And, uh, you know, yeah, there is a place, I think, that where you can you not lose your, your, where you can lose your salvation, where you can be so enshrined and return to the darkness so much that you lose hope. And that's obvious from the scripture, isn't it? But God wants you to advance. God wants you to advance. And when people backslide, when people fall completely under the, the authority of witchcraft and darkness, uh, they do it incrementally because they begin to refuse to hear. They begin to refuse to hear. And we're going to see in a second, because I'm going to, we're going to look at some of the disciples of Jesus. And we're going to look at some of the disciples of Paul. And I figure this, that if Jesus and Paul exhorted, challenged, and rebuked his disciples a certain way, or their disciples a certain way, I don't think it's too serious that we would do the same. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know, <laughs> but there's a scripture uh in Matthew 13 and it's talking about the condition really of the whole uh the whole nation of Israel Matthew 13:13 13, 13. It says, Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will not hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you will not see and not perceive. Now listen to this. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. The hearts of this people have grown dull their ears are hard of hearing their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears lest they should understand with their hearts and be ter- and turn so that i should heal them now the difficult there's a there's this is problematic this is a problematic because if you take that completely at face value then you could say well why do we even evangelize then Right, you know, I mean, if ultimately people are left to their own devices, you know, why do we even pursue them if God's not even pursuing them? Like if God is actually saying to them, all right, you made your choice, you made your bed, sleep in it, right? Uh, who are we to go against that? Is that what God's saying? Does that seem to be what he's saying? Well, yes and no. The thing is this, God's mercies are new every morning. God, that means God will give you one chance and then another chance and then another chance and then another chance. But he, he will not do things for you that he needs for you to do for yourself. Right? That's the, that's the point. See, they became dull. They became dull because they chose, they decided to begin to go down a particular path. Father, I pray right now, I pray right now i i, I got to tell, tell you, I am uh, burdened for not only our nation but i 'm burdened for a particular cross section of the body of Christ that have been illuminated but who are not keeping their lamps lit that you know there there comes a point. You know, when you're a young believer, and I, I relayed this the other week talking about love, you know, if you, at some point you have to start in a marriage believing that your spouse actually loves you. You cannot be always depending upon the present evidence as it's being presented to you. Hello? Right? I mean, at some point, because the the evidence of, of their love might not always be as consistent as you'd like. And sometimes our own need to be loved beyond... Uh, people's capacity mires our capacity, our ability to, to receive love or to believe love. And so we keep asking for constant reassurances. Do you love me? Do you love me today? Do you love me in this dress? Do you love me? How's my hair look? You, you know, it's constantly needing affirmation. And if you came home every day and your your wife or your husband, God forbid, you know, was, was in tears saying, you don't love me. And you had to you remember, what was that? 51st Dates. You remember that 51st Dates? I mean, it's an unbelievable story. It's this person who lost their ability to remember. And every day, the, 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 the man in the marriage had to remind his wife that he was married and had to remind her that he loved her and re- reorient her around their entire dating history. I mean, you know, who would actually do that? It's really, it's a one-sided relationship. God is not interested in a one-sided relationship with you. He will do everything possible to awaken you to the fact that he loves you, to awaken you to the fact that he is with you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you, but he at some point wants you to believe it. He needs you to believe it, but when we are when we are young and immature, we don't have a lot of faith. What is faith? Faith is a capacity to see. I talked about that thing uh, uh the 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 principle of permanence permanence of objects and how a child will get us to a certain point where they'll they'll stop crying and melting down when their their mom turns the corner is suddenly out of view remember that stage where all of a sudden they begin to realize that even though i can't see her i know she's there there is an equivalent in faith where god says I I am not hiding my love from you, but I'm hiding, I'm concealing partially things because I want you to begin to believe them even though you don't feel them. And, you know, there comes that place. And it's very hard in the life of a young believer where God comes and he says, come and worship me. And the first five, the first thousand times that we worship him, we just barely say his name. And then he floods upon us with, you know, the sensory in, 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 in enthralling presence that causes us to know, oh, hallelujah, he loves me. But then He he lessens that, right? He lessens his his visitation of you in order that you will be inclined to seek him more and that's a whole message in and of itself but here's the thing why is he doing that why is God needing people who aren't experiencing immediate breakthrough and yet still believe that breakthrough is imminent Uh, why does god need people who regardless of what they feel regardless of the the manifestation of glory in and around them are able to stand and believe without as so much as the uh, the smallest nuance of the reality of god why does he need those kind of people because he wants to send you into utter darkness to rescue people That's why, because he needs you to go where others are. And he can't send you into deep darkness to rescue people if as soon as you get there, you start to doubt where you came from. Right? And so he's training us to be rescuers. He's training us to be like Jesus himself, who experienced the utmost. I mean, he's on the cross And he has never been uh, without the presence of God. He has never been without the embracing, without the knowledge of God buffering up against his being and yet here he is when the the darkness of death comes on him as he's about to go into hades and to preach to the souls that are lost he's about to go to the darkest place possible he says my god my god why have you forsaken me Listen, there is a disillusioning, uh, uh, overwhelming darkness that comes over you. But if you believe, if you believe, you live. You live. And so you can think about it, but the trajectory of our lives. Like, here's the thing. I remember years ago, we had a big poster up there, and there was a picture of people dancing and pounding sticks. And there was, and there was, you know, this, this call, and this is who we were. And some people, see, here's what happens. You're in the crowd here, you're here on a conference, and it's like second night of a conference, and you're kind of a, a laid back person. You're not really one of those energetic, uh, enthusiastic prayer people. You know, you'd rather hang back and you're somewhat subdued, and you know, you don't. You know, it's a little compromising to be emotional, but somehow the presence and the dynamics of the of God in the room get the best of you, and before you know it, you're up front and you're pounding a stick on the ground, right? You know, it's. And the next day, though, it's like, what? I was what wearing a lampshade? What? You know, it's equivalent to spiritual. To drunkenness, but it's spiritual drunkenness. I, I lost my inhibition and I went to the front and I started pounding a stick like an idiot. Ugh. But, but the, what the Lord is saying is, listen, I don't want that to be an anomaly. I want that to be your intuitive response to my presence, whether my presence is there or not. Yeah. But, you know, Between this and that, when we are moved beyond the level of our comfort, we're kind of embarrassed by that. And we make inner vows to say, I'll never do that again. Why? Because the next day, it's not as real as it was in the moment. And the next day, we decide then whether we ever want to do that again. That's when you harden your heart. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. They have to do with our ego, our expectations, how we have crafted the image we're presenting to the world around us. But God is trying to erode something in you and create a capacity to be in touch with things that are subtle to others. See, if, if, the, if the day after you say, yeah, that, that's not me, I'm not so inclined to do that, but what I experienced was real... See, right now, when you've sort of withdrawn from that atmosphere and the opportunity to doubt, see, this is what the girls were facing. When the witchcraft hit them and everything about their previous experience began to be vague, began to be murky, they decided, wait a minute, no, I know it was real. And I'm so committed to it, even if it wasn't real, I'd rather have that than what I have right now. You see, that's the choice you make, not in not just in the moments, you know, the high moments of God's glory. This is why it's so you know, we think, well, how did how did these people backslide? How did these people that were a part of so many powerful things? I mean, these guys were right in the middle of the glory how do they not how is it they're not serving god today because something of their image was compromised something of their integrity something of their dignity was and they were embarrassed by that when especially after the fact when you know the propulsion of the spirit is gone and again it's not unlike a guy who never dances and going out to a wedding and having a couple of drinks And all of a sudden, John Travolta shows up on the dance floor. And everybody's getting pictures. (laughs) And then he's ashamed and embarrassed. He says, I'll never do that again. And, you know, that you probably shouldn't. But this other version, where you're filled with the spirit, where you lose your inhibitions, where you forget about that, you know, I don't know, that caricature of this dignified, postured, in-control person, uh, there can be a myriad of reasons why we retreat from the front lines, but it always comes down to these dynamics. We allow dullness to set in. We, 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 we let something in our heart. Maybe it's a judgment. Maybe it's a judgment against others. Maybe it's a judgment against ourselves. Maybe it's a, an unwillingness to be in a situation we consider humiliating. Whatever it is, backsliding is always preceded by a decision. Dullness of heart is not the inevitable outcome of living in a sin-filled world. It's a decision that's made based on factors that are quantifiable. Wow. Hebrews 5, 9, and 11, listen to this. It's, uh, it's Paul, and he's writing—well, th- actually, it might not be Paul— it's, a, it's an apostolic writer, and it says this, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as priests according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say. So he says, listen, I'm, he just references this order of Melchizedek. First time it's really in the New Testament. Nobody's ever talked about it, but apparently there's a whole teaching Behind this, there's a whole revelation that the, the writer has, but he doesn't share it with them. Why does he not share it with them? He says, because it's, it's hard. It's hard to understand and, and hard to explain, especially since you become dull of hearing, right? Especially since you become dull of hearing. See, the hardest thing, when somebody starts to doubt the validity of their own experience they only they not only bring into question themselves but everybody else who contributed in that environment and the only way back the only way back is a decision to come out is a decision that man i i just i just hate where i've landed i remember when i used to be filled with joy but now they're in this place where they're wandering they're wandering drone like zombie-like, half-awake, and they don't even know it. I've seen them. I've seen the Christians I know who at once had light in their eyes, exuberance and joy and humility. They were excited about the next day, the next moment they could get into the presence of the Lord. And then they got to the place and so, said, well, I'm not sure it's all I thought it was. They stumbled. And they could say, well, because the church was imperfect and the church is incomplete and people around me were doing it in the flesh, and that was obvious, and there was pretenders in our midst, and da da da. Therefore I am absolving myself of all responsibility to the truth that I once fully embraced. No, you became dull. Mark eight seventeen says this But Jesus being aware okay, now there's a whole story, but I'm just I'm just avoiding the backstory. You know which one it is. You'll see which one it is at least. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, "Why do you reason? Is because you have no bread. Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened?" So he's doing things. He's trying to get them to believe. He's trying to get them engaged in what he's doing but he finds them reluctant at different postures and they're stymied they're they're stifled in their ability to engage by unbelief you see there's something that god wants to do in this church there's something that god wants to do in this region he wants to release tremendous light i mean it's anything well isn't that counterproductive doesn't that doesn't that won't that cause us to be confident won't it cause us to just want to have that bright brilliant moments here's the here's the rub bright brilliant moments of the outpouring of the glory of God are always caused by faith right when Jesus was in Jerusalem it said he could do no mighty miracles because of their unbelief right now so there's, God is always moving back and forth. On the one hand, sometimes he's trying to confront your unbelief, but to those who are totally without hope, he's giving them a chance by bringing light they don't deserve. But somewhere in the middle between those things is us being trained to believe in the light even though we don't see it so that we can be vessels that bring the light by faith. So you might be here today. You might be thinking... You know, I, I don't know what drives Mark. I, I don't know what is with these intercessory prophetic types. I, I don't know what it is with wailing people during worship. I never feel that. <laughs> you know, never in my whole life I ever felt like screaming out loud in church. <laughs> uh, you know what? First of all, you don't necessarily need to feel like it. Now, I'm not asking you to be a hypocrite. I'm not asking you to do something. But there is the ability to do things because you believe them to be true, not because they are driven by an emotional outburst. Did you know that? I mean, God might induct you into certain expressions if you're very reluctant. Hey, Brian? If you're really reluctant, you know, he might give you a touch that causes you to, whoo, one day. You know, but some, the next day he might want you to just shout because he is God without him having to show you. So where are we in this journey? How sure are we? Is there, is there uh, was there a moment in your life where you realized that, you know, there was? I really knew this was important. I really knew Sundays weren't, were important. Now, yeah, you know, if I make it there twice a month, that's enough what changed what caused you to to shrink back you know the Bible challenges us about the gathering together it's not gathering together to feed the ego of the pastor there's something else happening that requires your faith there are people in deep darkness and we we are doing things that restores and reaches them in the spirit now doesn't just happen on Sunday. But Sunday is the fuel to energize you to make it real enough so that Monday when you see unsaved people, you have an impulse to pray for them and maybe share your faith. And it's on us if it never goes past Sunday. But Sunday, and when you're standing in the wake of others and they're carrying something really, really clear and they speak it with conviction... It's to help you awaken them. Maybe there's more about this than I know. Because I can't say things like this as emphatically as that guy does. It's because I don't believe it as much. Did you know that? Because I don't believe it as much. Father, today we pray. God, God is envisioning a people who are going to save their neighbors. Who are going to save their communities, who are going to bring, who worship with such a conviction, who aren't confused, who aren't wondering, who aren't iffy, that they, you know, they, they will humble themselves again and again and again. You see, when David worshiped the way he did before the whole nation of Israel, this was so humiliating to his wife. Why? Because God wasn't really as real to her as he was to David. And so when he said, it's before the Lord that I did this, she had no grid to even understand that. Say, well, I believe in God too, but I'd never act a fool like you did. Yes, and, and there it is. There it is. There are layers of sensitivity, of vision, of capacity, let me, let me just finish with this. The, the, the video craze has caused us to see all kinds of things. I remember a few years ago, Tiger Woods was bouncing a golf ball on an eight iron or a nine iron or something. I mean, he was just doing fantastic things with it. And the big debate was, was that real? Was that real? Now, if you have no coordination at all, that would seem to be fantastical, like just impossible, unlikely. It's 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 trick photography, because nobody can do that kind of thing. I mean, that's the reality. It's just it's just so out of your grid, just so impossible. Well, that, that Ben Loades doing tricks like that, that that must be fake photography. Well, show me the strings, you know. Because we really. Believe the world around us is like us, maybe just marginally different in some ways. But when we see that there are abilities that are just almost superhuman, and you're seeing this, it's like, oh wow! What if spiritually the equivalent was true? How just ha- and what if you weren't limited the way you are physically, and you could never bounce a golf ball on an iron iron? What if God says to him who has ears to hear, let him hear? What if God is giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to hone your senses to an invisible world, to increase your capacity to not only interact with it but represent it in ways that are unfathomable to others right now? That's the reality, what's happening in front of us. But it begins with realizing that there are people ahead of you. I know this. There are people ahead of me. I just called a brother again the other night to thank him for the impact he had in my life because he was was always ahead of me and always inspired me. And I kind of forgot to honor him for that. So I thought, you know, I want what he has. So I'm going to start by calling him and honoring him and blessing him because I want more of that. I want that clarity. I don't want to dismiss it. I don't want to make it out to be something it is not. See, this is what happens. People grow dull because uh, part of it is a competitive thing of pride. It's like nobody can be that whatever. And so you dismiss it. Or you can be challenged by it, excited by it, brought into a new pursuit of it, So, Father, we pray today. Can we stand up? Father, we don't want to be dull. We don't want to be blind. We don't want to be mistaking your voice for the vagueness of thunder. If it's possible for my senses to be honed to that atmosphere, God, I... Just pray this right now. Father, do it in me. God, show me where the decisions are being made. Show me where the turns are. Show me how to repent. Show me how to come back. Lord, if I've been fading into something, if I have been, Lord, uh, minimizing your servants, your anointed, others who in the past inspired me, caused me to, to, to hope for, and dream for dynamics of the kingdom of God. God restore that hope. Restore that hope. Restore that hope. Restore that hope. We're we're coming to the end of today. I again, I uh I am jealous for you as a church. I am jealous for us. Because we're called to be something we've not yet walked into. We're called to uh you know there's I saw a prophetic word this week, and I had just read this from uh, from Revelations, but the challenge of Jesus was, be careful lest I come and remove your lampstand. And the prophetic word that was, some churches were going to lose their lampstand, and it is possible to lose the promise the destiny the calling that you are meant that you have as an apostolic hub for the region of a nation it's possible to lose that these things don't happen because of the passing of time they happen because the people aspire prophetically to enter into the promise of a word i believe there are gifts in this room that are I believe we're meant to have seers. I believe some of us are meant to be caught up into heaven. I believe some of us are meant to be invited into divine councils where we will literally be, like Paul, caught up into heavenly places. I believe God wants to open our eyes in amazing ways.
0: I'm hearing so clearly in the spirit right now this phrase, it is time to marshal your spirit his spirit stands ready but it is time for you to marshal your spirit take stock of where you're at take stock of what you will give yourself to take stock it's time for you to marshal your spirit you see every time we gather on a sunday you're spending
1: a week in the world and the shadows of darkness have come over your minds and cause things that were clear when you finished last Sunday or Wednesday night or the last time you had that experience of being in the Spirit. The presence of God, the reality of the kingdom was so crisp. But over the course of the week, things grow dull. And you have a choice when you come into this room. You can make it the responsibility of others to bring that clarity to you so that you can believe again and if you are a child in the spirit that's not a bad expectation because you don't have the capacity but most of us in this room are not called to be recipients of the presence of God we are called to be generators we are called to furnish a manifestation of the glory of Lord to others who have never tasted Outside these walls and in our city are people who have never felt the presence of God. We have been in the church for years and week after week after week, somebody says a prayer, somebody sings a song, somebody creates a message that renews that sense of vitality and we rest in that. But the Lord is saying no, no longer. It's time for you to believe. It's time for you to worship even though you don't feel it. It's time for you to stop waiting for your favorite tune, your favorite atmosphere, your favorite moment to begin to cultivate that sense of the reality and the imminence of the kingdom of God. I believe. I believe. I believe. I believe waves. Waves of the presence of God are going to fill this city. Lord, this will be a portal. This church will be a touchdown point because we believe. Listen to me. Canada, 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 Canada. Is at an important crossroads. And I'm not talking about the responsibility of sinners. I'm talking about the church in Canada. I'm talking about those that know the presence of God. I'm talking about those that stand at the door, at the threshold of the kingdom of heaven and keep asking God week after week to prove himself. Ah! Uh, There's a reason why sorcery comes over a nation like a shadow and causes us to be overwhelmed with dark philosophies, economic, cultural, sexual philosophies that are godless. There's a reason it happens. It's not natural. It's supernatural. And the fault always lies at the foot of those who have lampstands that can be lit. God, God, raise up a church in Canada that believes, that believes. Raise up a church that believes. God, move on your people. Move on your people, God. Move, move on your people. You know, the Bible in the Old Testament, it talks about how God extends himself again and again to Israel. Again and again, and again and again, and again and again. And eventually he says, okay, I'm going to get myself another people. Now we know in his wisdom he has a purpose. And all Israel will be saved. But at some point, when God's extending his heart to us again and again and again, we can't be the woman in the movie Fifty First Dates, and expect to be reminded every morning. Oh yeah, yeah, you did die for me. Oh yeah, you do have done absolutely everything. For me. At some point, some of this needs to stick. At some point, we got to be able to hold on to. No wait, when that spirit of sorcery comes to darken my understanding, I know what I believe. Look at Job. Look at Job. Yeah, he struggled. Yeah, it was a purifying time. But when he was was told by his very wife to curse God, he said, I know whom I have believed. And God is looking for a people who are going to stamp their feet when the shadows come over them in their house or in their car or in their office to say, I know whom I have believed. My Redeemer lives. I'm not shrinking back from this conviction. I'm not shrinking back. Oh, God. Oh, God. God, help us tomorrow morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday night. God, when we are faced again with another choice... What to spend our time on, what to give ourselves to, What what is most important, God, renew. If you have to go, you're dismissed, but let's take a few minutes.
0: This isn't about creating a specific style. This is about responding to the Lord. That's what He's asking us to do. Whether we're in here on a Sunday or whether we're at home, God is asking us to respond to Him in the moment. Can we do that? Amen. Bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.